The following podcast may contain adult language and an abundance of salt. So get ready, nerds. We're talking episode four of HBO's The Nevers. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Salty Nerd Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Kadish. In today for Alex, who had some family business that he has to attend to. So we're down to a three-man team once more for this awesome, awesome TV show, The Nevers. With me, as always, is this excellent panel of nerddom, uh, starting with the man, the myth, the legend, the barbarian <laughs> space Viking himself, Matt Vader, 74. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. Good. I'm happy to be back. And also uh, with me, as always, is the biggest Joss Whedon defender and Buffy <laughs> the Vampire Slayer fan, Jude Juju. How you doing? I will go down on this ship. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having me again. So you guys have already talked about this right yeah we've been talking about this for three episodes now yeah. and we're going to be talking about the fourth episode called undertaking what's right what's after a word from these sponsors hey everyone welcome back and as always if you want to help support the podcast and you like what we do here please go to saltynerdclub.com and join our patreon page uh, we got different tiers for different budgets and we've got all types of cool stuff that we give to our patrons and uh, you know uh, you can um, help support the show by uh, donating and all the money goes back into the show where we get better equipment uh, and pay for all these movies and tv shows that we watch on a weekly basis so that we can create content just for you anyway getting uh, to the show so we've got uh, the never season one episode four called undertaking and this is actually the mid-season episode because there are only i guess last episode was mid-season yeah. because there's there only, only six episodes really in, yeah in we thought show. it was going to be a longer series but i guess there's only two more episodes after oh, this man but, i thought it was longer than that yeah um i think that the first thing that we should do is ask vader what he thought of episodes yes. one through three in, indeed so vader you're you're late to this you haven't been in the last i am three episodes. Late to the i want to get your take so, on what you think of this yeah, show. so what do you, do you hate it do i hate it no good i don't hate it um do i like it yeah probably not but it's interesting. Uh, I'm not quite sure what to think of it yet, to be completely honest with you. I'm kind of still mumbling it over in my brain because I'm not quite sure what, what it's supposed to be. Is it like are you X-Men? No, not really. Uh, I was going to say, are you invested at all uh, in the, the mystery of it? Like, where did these powers come from? What is the spaceship? Like, what's going on with these bad guys? We, we've seen the spaceship once. And for three to 30 seconds in the first episode, you know, and we got the glowy thing underground and mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. It's just, like I said, I'm not going to shit on this thing yet. Okay. All right. It's just, I'm just not probably where you're at with it. Okay. I, I see a lot of, uh, X-Men riffs for chicks and, um, um, very diverse cast and a very, uh, I don't know. It's just, um, Joss Whedon. -y. <laughs> you know, Alex keeps saying that too. And I don't think that it's necessarily like so Whedon-y. I don't think that I would have guessed that it was a Whedon show had I not known it. It's definitely not the most Whedonist show that I've ever Whedoned uh, before. Um, but how, how many Whedons would you give it? <laughs> oh, I, I, on, a, on, a, on a Whedon scale, I'd say that this is about 65 out of 100. Okay. You know, yeah. Um, but something like Buffy is like a 100 out of 100. Oh, that's a 100 out of 100. Uh, some, something like um, 
Firefly is probably like a 95 out of 100. Okay. <laughs> Something like Dollhouse, I'd, I'd rate it like a 70 out of 100. So th- this is definitely the lowest on the Whedon scale, okay. I, I think, in terms of Whedon-ness. Mm-hmm. But there's so much stuff that happens in every episode that yeah. you're like, yeah, that's Joss Whedon. I feel yeah. like there's a lot of characters here that none of them really get a chance to really shine on their own a whole lot. Um, there's just a lot going on with this show. I disagree. Yeah. Like, I think that they've done a really good job at making every character unique so far and Super, giving, like, giving them time to like kind of stand out. Okay. Yeah. I feel like everyone um, that we have um, gotten to know in this show is super well-defined. Yeah. Yeah. They've done a really good job with it. So let's get down to it. So season one, episode four, Undertaking. Take us through it. Yes. The show opens with Mary's funeral and Mundy is there and arrests some hecklers who crashed the funeral, who are also members of a new group called the Purists. When Penance tries to calm and upset Mundy, he demands to know where the woman who can see the future is, but Amelia is busy drinking and picking fights in a local pub instead of mourning Mary's loss. So what do you think of that scene? I wasn't surprised by it because, mm-hmm. like, I think that we've gotten to know True's character by now. And she doesn't do sorrow. She doesn't do regret. She is a miserable person. <laughs> so she's not going to the funeral. She's going to go drink away her feelings in a bar. And she's going to go, like, start a bar fight and um, get some action on the side. I believed it. I did think it was interesting that Mundy pointed out, he's like, where's the woman who can see the future? Like she should have seen this coming. She should have seen what happened to Mary and done something to prevent it. Mm-hmm. And like, that was kind of my thought was, which was like, why didn't Mary see what was going well, to happen? Well, she can't control what she sees. Yeah. Right? She's been very clear that it's the, just like, the ripplings give her these little snippets and they never tell her what's going to happen. They just show her where she's going to be. Yeah. But I can see Mundy's argument on, on that side where it's, it's like, she should have, seen what was going to happen because that's her turn so i can see why he was like you know where is she why? well i think everybody's looking for someone to blame yeah exactly and you know we, we get to see that Amal- uh, amalia or amelia amalia amalia we, we get to see that like she does kind of hold herself at fault um for what happened to mary but at the same time she's like i don't want to spend time mourning when i could spend time finding out you know who's responsible for it so elsewhere in London, someone is organizing a worker rebellion at a local warehouse owned by Lord Masson. The workers are demanding higher wages because they've discovered there are explosives in the cargo that they're handling. Masson, however, is unmoved, pointing out that both the explosives are stable and that he could easily replace all the workers within an hour. So they go back to work after Masson says he'll let them keep their jobs if they drop their grievances. I thought this was a pretty boss scene. From yeah, I, I like that scene. That was yeah. Good. yeah. And like when he said, um, get back to work and I won't dock you for having stopped working <laughs> and I'm being very generous. generous yeah. yeah. And, and that was like the type of tycoon that existed back then. He's very mm-hmm. Ebenezer Scroogey. Yeah, yeah. And Pip, <laughs> Pip, Pip Torn's just like owned uh, that scene. I love it when you say his name. Yeah, like like, like <laughs> he, he gets up on that truck bed and just throws that bomb down. He's Get like, don't work. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And like as he's walking away, he tells his man servant or whatever. I forget that guy's name. He's like, yeah, we'll... We'll see how well the, the carrot lasts. Well, well, he's, he said they took the carrot, sir, and he's like, they're suckling on the carrot. <laughs> if they if 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 that's not enough for them, then they'll get the stick. Uh-huh. And then you're just like, oh, yeah. I, I hate to see what Masson's stick looks like. Yeah. 
I'd take a look. Yeah, I know you would. You'd, t- <laughs> you'd touch it. All right. So back at the orphanage, uh, Amalia returns from her bar crawl. Penance reprimands her for failing to attend the funeral and reminds her that she needs to take time for her pain. But Amalia responds by sharing that she was left alone with a mission. She wasn't actually given. And now she's in a place where a woman can be killed just for having a voice. She desperately wants to figure out who's responsible for Mary's murder and tells Penance she needs to stop worrying about who was at Mary's funeral and start considering if there was someone amongst the touched who was somehow involved in her demise. So uh, I thought what was interesting about this scene was that Amalia says something very cryptic where she basically says that she was left alone with a mission that she wasn't actually given. And you get the feeling like we don't know much about where she came from. Um, and, and so like, I'm like, what does that mean exactly? Mm -hmm. You know, like, is she speaking like in the broad metaphorical terms that she was given these powers and she's leader of this orphanage and so she has a mission or is there something more to that? It also made me wonder, like, we know that she's a widow, like, what's the story there? Like what happened with her husband? How did he die? Like, did she kill him? Well, you know, she was committing suicide in the first episode. And so I think that that might've had something to do with like, you know, her husband was already dead before whatever event happened, happened. So it's kind of weird. I'm getting the impression just based on like who we're seeing this character is like, um, I, I think that she was probably in the mental institution with malady because Mm -hmm. that's how they know each other. Right. Yeah. Um, and she seems to come from a very troubled background. And I'm, I'm just wondering if like the story is that she, um, was getting like the shit beat out of her by her husband and that's how she learned to fight. And then she ended up killing him. And then she was like, Oh shit, I, I need to kill myself now because of everything that I've been through and everything that I've seen. And then she gets powers. Now she's like, oh shit, now I have to be this superhero. Well, for a while she thought she was crazy because she was put in the mental institution, right? So we don't really know much about her background or, you know, what her backstory is. So it's interesting that every episode we kind of get these glimpses into her tortured past, Mm -hmm. but uh, we haven't gotten the full picture of who Amalia is. I do want to find out like how she learned to fight. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. (laughs) Where'd that come from? Yeah. So meanwhile, Primrose and Myrtle. Our Primrose finds Myrtle crying in Penance's workshop. She's drawing something and Primrose asks if she wants to talk. But of course, because of Myrtle's turn, you know, mm-hmm. she can't communicate. Myrtle by, is the girl speaking. who speaks all the languages. Yep. Primrose is the giant. Yeah. Yeah. She's I, a 50 a, foot woman. I have a hard time with all the names and keeping everybody straight. In yeah. It's just, you know, future telling lady, uh-huh. brainiac chick, um, <laughs> the babbler, uh, <laughs> giant girl. Um, it's, this is fire girl, uh, uh-huh. crazy lady with the eye stuff. Um, you know, that's, that's I, how I go with yeah. this show. Wheelchair like, lady. Lady True and yeah. Primrose Prima Donna and blah, 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 blah. I was like, I don't give a shit about these people's names. Yeah, They're just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty terrible super- with names, but like I've been I've been kind of learning the names to the characters in the, in the show because I'm pretty invested in all the characters yeah. so far. Yeah. I think you guys are way more into this show than I am. I think we are too. Yeah. Because I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you and Alex and Tom are all, all three of you were, were just like, yeah, the, the never is whatever. And yeah, me and Jude over here like, did you see this? Did you it's see so that? Good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. I love magic. It's like, I think I've seen this show before with dudes. So, yeah, I don't know. Are you talking about X-Men? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, because of Myrtle's turn, they can't communicate through speaking because she can only talk in like foreign languages that no one understands. Yeah, that's a weird. Topic. So Myrtle lays out a strange series of drawings, which Primrose attempts to interpret. 
And she eventually figures out that Myrtle is saying that she could understand the lyrics to Mary's song. Which not even Mary could understand. Yeah. And so uh, Myrtle's weird power, which is to be able to understand and communicate every language like that's ever been known, um, actually ended up being important to the story. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in, in the first episode, you know, uh, Mrs. True and, and or Amalia and, and, and Penance. Penance. Thank you. Uh, they go and save her from the faceless men. And then her powers finally pay off in episode four. Imagine that set up and pay off lost what art nowadays. I just, exactly. I, I get, I get hung up on little things in the show. It's like, why is she all Kung Fu fighting with a corset on and big poofy shoulder pads? I, Cause it's, it's cool. It's not though. It's just <laughs> kind of weird. Jude would disagree with you. And all their hoity toity accent i could fight you in a corset yeah and plus that's you that's how (laughs) that's how women dress back then i I know it's period appropriate i get it all right so at the police station a woman reporter named effie boyle who we're introduced to in this episode tries to question inspector mundy about what happened to mary while mundy isn't interested in speaking to her uh he walks into uh, the questioning of the purist who harassed the touched at mary's funeral they are uncooperative until they discover that Mundy was once a boxer called the East End Ape. And suddenly they're very willing to talk <laughs> and say that a couple of guys in suits gave them the information about the funeral at a purist meeting and proposed that they should call the uh, touched out during the event. The card they hand over to Mundy with the funeral time and location on it has a swan on the back, suggesting that Lord Swan was the one who sent them there. I liked this scene. It made me chuckle. As soon as they... The guy was like, and in walks the ape. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> That's him. No, I'll tell you what you want. It was funny. Well, well, like one of them was about getting ready to fight money. He and, and was. Then he, he stood up and rolled up his sleeves <laughs> and then he sat the hell back down. He was going to fight a cop in cop headquarters. Yeah. yeah. And then when they find out, oh, that's the East End Ape. That's Frank Mundy. <laughs> oh, okay. What do you want to yeah, know? <laughs> I'll just, I'll just talk. Inst- instant regret. Yeah. yeah. I, I like that scene too. That was fun. Yeah. And, and you know, Mundy's probably one of my favorite characters in this show. And it's so interesting that we've gotten so many different facets to him because he's like, he's a really good detective and he's also like, you know, secretly gay. Um, but he has this real love for a woman and he's like the East and ape. I don't even know what that means, but like <laughs> people are afraid of him. Yeah, He's definitely um, got layers. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got a lot of layers and I just like, I love the actor who plays him. Like the guy's voice is just great. His look is great. Yeah. He reminds me of like, you, you know, those rough and tumble, like white chapel cops that hunting Jack the Ripper. I totally believe him in this time period too. Mm-hmm. Like the casting is great. Yeah, yeah. I wish I, I was thinking when I was watching this, this would be way more fun if this was on Disney plus. And this was a Mary Poppins or origin story. Because <laughs> <laughs> that one makes more sense. Okay. <laughs> so Mary, Mary, Mary Poppins would be touched then. Uh-huh. That's how she got her superpowers. So Maybe we can get a crossover I later. think I think Mrs. True is Mary Poppins. <gasps> You've heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a pretty great origin story. Yeah, I know, right? I know. <laughs> All right. So at the orphanage, um, Amalia, Penance, Annie, and Dr. Cousins are brainstorming a list of powerful people uh, who are big enough to orchestrate Mary's murder. On their list is Lord Masson, the Beggar King, and Augustus and Lavinia Bidlow. They divide the list with the goal of questioning their suspects. Penance goes to see Augustus, Annie goes to see the Beggar King, and Amalia goes to see Masson. So one of the things that I really like about the, sh- the show in general and Yas Whedon's kind of writing in general. It's Joss. 
Joss, whatever. Yeah. I use the Nordic pronunciation. <laughs> He's the uh, Nordic. Joss. <laughs> His name is Joss. Joss Whedon. <laughs> Um, so, uh, one of the things I like about his writing is that, you know, after episode three, all of us, you know, we talk about the episode and we kind of theorize, it's like, oh, Lord Masson could have been behind Mary's murder, like getting, you know, Cruz out of prison and stuff like that. It could have been Lavidia Bidwell. So the writers were aware of the theory crafting that would have been going on through the viewers of the show. And so they just address what the viewers were thinking in the show itself where they have their list of suspects and it's the exact same list of suspects that everyone watching the show came up with. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, this is who this, we, we know this is who you were thinking about. So let, let's go through the list. Yeah. They started to do this with WandaVision and then they just kind of dropped it. And it, it's the sign of a good, write of yeah. good writing where it's like, you can anticipate what the audience wants and then you give it to them. And that's one of the reasons I like this show so much is because of that kind of like awareness of the audience and, and the writing of it and stuff like that. And plus, you know, just going through all these characters, all these characters in terms of like their investigation uh, was also very fulfilling because it gives you new information about the world and the characters and stuff like that. So what did you think of, of this scene? Um, well, I was surprised that they decided that Lavidia Bidwell was on the list, but um, I think in the last episode, um, like just for me as a fan watching the show, I was like, well, you know, Lavidia was the only person that Amalia told we're going to be there. So hopefully she's starting to suspect her. So I was glad that she was on the list, but I was also a little bit surprised. I was surprised too, but like, it, it's funny because we, as the audience know that Lavidia is a bad guy because yeah. we saw at the end of episode two. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we also know that, you know, she was the only person that true told about the experiment outside of their little group. Mm -hmm. And so, um, they actually mentioned that in the scene. And that's one of the reasons why Lavidia is a suspect, even though she's like the, the patron of that orphanage and stuff like that. And by all, you know, measures of rational thought, she shouldn't be on that suspect list, but she is. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to, you know, what does the audience know and how can we incorporate that into the story? All right. So, at a gentleman's club, Hugo Swan is playing cheese chess when Mundy appears and drags him into an empty room. <laughs> I love the cheese chess. Yeah, so, so, so when we saw them playing chess with cheese, Jude was like, I really want some cheese. Yeah. So we I had made to, him stop so yeah. I could go get some cheese. I was like, yeah, I want some cheese. And it, it was just funny. Like, you know, you couldn't tell what the pieces were. They were just, just different chunks of it cheese. It really with, made me want some cheese. With, with like toothpicks in them. And like, they're just, whenever they take a piece, they just eat the cheese. Yeah. And uh, I, I believe... Vader, didn't you say we need our own club? That I sent a text that said we need a gentleman's club where we can play <laughs> cheese chest and smoke cigars and <laughs> yeah, big leather chairs. Am I still I, invited? I, I'm down. I'm down. No. <laughs> you can make us some sandwiches yeah. and shit. Oh, it's, fuck it's, you. It's, boys it's called only, the gentleman's club. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yes, uh, sir, no gentleman. So, um, never claimed to be. <laughs> So basically, uh, Mundy appears and drags Swan into an empty room. He believes Swan is the one who sent the purists to mock the funeral, and he is furious. But Swan doesn't know who the purists are. And when Mundy shows him the card that the purists gave him, Swan claims that the card's not his. I like he has a line where he's like, uh, you know, oh, yeah, I, I leave my calling card on all incriminating evidence. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, so, smart. yeah. So Mundy calms down once he kind of realizes the logic of Swan's statement. And Mundy's such a badass, like just going in there and roughing mm -hmm. up this guy. Yeah, he doesn't care about class distinction at that mm -hmm. point. 
Uh, Swan points out that someone has orchestrated the situation to ensure Mundy would sacrifice good police work for an emotional response. Mundy's still not convinced that Swan is innocent, but Swan says that he's not a murderer. And Mundy breaks off his arrangement with Swan and storms out. I thought this was a really powerful moment where yeah. Mundy basically tells him, like, I'm done. I don't care what you know about me. I don't care about this. Like, we are done. Yeah. It was a very powerful moment for he Mundy. He says something like, um, what you what you had to hold over me doesn't like doesn't work anymore. Something like that. Yeah. But yeah, the way that he said it was, like you said, really powerful. Vader, what did you think of the scene? Loved it. That was really good. Very interesting how he just went in there with like a boss and mm -hmm. roughed him up. I liked it. Yeah. 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 Was, was this I think, like I think, point I think, of no I, return? I think, I think he's my, probably my favorite character of the show. Bundy. Yeah. See, uh, I think this was the only scene we got of Swan in this episode. And Swan's usually like a standout. Like he steals pretty mm -hmm. much every scene that he's yeah. in. I think I like Swan. Yeah. I like Swan too. I think the best scene was in. Episode two, where he has that little like face off with the uh, Masson in the gentleman's club where Swan and him are kind of like, uh, kind of battling out with, with their wits. Masson's uh -huh. the one that likes to bang everything, right? No, no Ma Masson's the evil guy. Swan's the guy who likes Masson to bang everything. Yeah, I'm still trying to get everybody straight here. Masson is the one with the really tall hat. Yeah. He's Pip Torrens. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, he's basically the bad guy of the show. Dead daughter. Yeah. All right. All right. So Penance surprises Augustus at the Bidlow estate. And I thought this was a very kind of funny, sweet scene. I know. I uh, love them. So I can't wait for them to smooch. They're so sweet together. <laughs> so uh, given the way that Augustus blew her off at the party in episode two, Penance is defensive before they start talking. Augie, on the other hand, is clearly happy to see Penance again. Uh, they have a conversation in which Augie admits that um, over like his guilt over how he treated her, uh, which Penance mistakenly takes as a confession to Mary's murder. But once Augie realizes what's going on, he sets her straight. And although Penance is still hurt, Augie expresses his desire to make it up to her and become her friend. Cute. Yeah. I, I felt really bad for Augie in episode two when um, his sister made him kind of break it off with Penance. She's the worst. Yeah. Cause she, not because she was touched, but because she was Irish. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, those dirty eyes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Augie is just such a sweet kind of like guy. Um, and he's just, you can tell he's so well suited for penance. Uh -huh. um, it was nice to kind of see them in that, that fence. Cause you know, we had a whole episode where like they hated each other or at least she hated him. And so like, uh, it was kind of funny cause also earlier she was like, no, I know Augustus was the one behind Mary's murder because he's such a terrible person. <laughs> she's just so hurt by him. Yeah, yeah. She, she had her heart broken. Poor thing. All right, so we know that Augie is not the one behind uh, Mary's thing. Correct. And I think they kind of end the scene where Penance was like, oh, what about your sister? And and uh, Augie, instead of saying no, he's just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like He's not sure like if his sister is evil or not. He's the bird whisperer, right? Yeah, he's, mm -hmm. he's, he's the guy who can work in the birds yeah, and stuff. He's the beastmaster. Exactly. He's, he's the, the green seer. Yeah. yeah. So on the docks, um, Bonfire Annie is using her fire to question the Beggar King's men when she comes upon someone new, a man who calls himself Nimble Jack. Was that the man? <laughs> yeah, that, I, I think that was a man. I thought that was a lady. I think it was a little boy, like a teen boy type thing. Yeah, it's a boy. Was it? I, let's not assume gender. <laughs> yeah, okay? well. I guess it's not important to the story. Yeah. So anyway, Nimble Jack, which is a boy's name. Uh, when, uh, so when Annie, not to be confused with simple Jack. Yes. So when Annie, uh, aims her fire at him, he stops it with a shield of some type confirming that he too is touched. Annie deduces that he works for the beggar King and nimble Jack discloses that though odium works for the beggar King too, 
The beggar king wasn't behind Odium's attack on Amalia. Uh, he seeks, he, or he asks Annie not to kill Odium, pointing out that someone is trying to misdirect the touch away from the people who really perpetrated the attacks on Mary and Amalia. And so there's some figure out they're playing both sides against the center and they're the master manipulator. And I also like that he said, like, I don't work for the beggar king. I sometimes work with him. Yeah. Yeah. He made that distinction. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't sure like what his powers were. Like he creates the shield, uh-huh. but was it ice or was it like some weird shield? Something. It seems like, real shield I, don't, I don't know. Cause like once he like makes the shield, what happens to it? It just kind of disappeared. Yeah. yeah. You know, so like I wasn't sure if it was ice or if it was like something kind of weird. Yeah. So it can't be metal or anything, even though it kind of looks like metal. Yeah. Like they just kind of just like, cause he like threw them, they like hovered in the air and then he like jumped up on them uh-huh. and like left the, the alley. It was nimbly. It was very nimbly. Yes. <laughs> so meanwhile, Amalia arrives at Lord Masson's mansion. And although the man agrees to see her due to her relationship with Lavinia, he immediately informs her that he had nothing to do with Mary's death. Amalia proposes an exercise where he pretends to be the mastermind behind the murder, and she pretends to be Mary. During their exchange, Masson cleverly explains the broader motivation for the attack and calls Mary a casualty of war for all intents and purposes. He admits he's behind what happened without actually admitting to it, while also indicating there's a larger apparatus at work against the touched and making it clear that he is waging war against them. So this is the scene where basically he kind of confesses that he was behind the attack. I don't know if you missed that or not. I don't buy it. It seems too easy. It does seem pretty easy. I'll admit. Well, I totally buy that Masson would be the one orchestrating like all these, like, you know, like he knows who the players are and he knows how to like turn them against each other. I see him as someone who still plays by the rules though. And I don't see him like breaking the machine gun guy out of jail. Well, and, and having him commit a murder. Well, I, I could see like he has the the reach in it to do that. But I think Lavidia would absolutely have no problem doing that. I, I don't think either of them would have a problem doing that. But I think more interesting was when they were doing their role play thing. And Amalia was like, "What? why me? Why kill Mary? And, you know, he goes through like, you know, tactically, it doesn't matter. Like, you don't matter. But you were important to the touched. And so by killing Mary he kills the heart mm-hmm. of the group and you know because he killed their hope yeah he killed their hope and because this is a war that is the kind of blow that can like really cripple an enemy and uh the acting in this scene between um Masson and and um, Amalia I thought was just fucking fantastic like mm-hmm. it, it was it, it was like you could tell they're on the same level yes but Masson is is just like He's such an interesting bad guy. Like, like he really is like a Moriarty type character to her Sherlock Holmes. Like, <laughs> like they're, they're they're good rivals, I think. Yeah, yeah. Vader, what did you think of the scene? I agree. I thought it was very well written. I thought it was very well acted. Um, I kind of bought into it. Um, I like the whole thing of him confessing without having to confess, just telling her straight up how things were. Yeah, he was almost bragging. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. I like yeah. how I like how that went down. And and she kind of like set it up with the role play thing mm-hmm. uh, to allow like, him to do this that. This is an interesting exercise. <laughs> yeah. And and he he doesn't even question it for a minute. He just starts going it's along like, with okay. it because he's like, yeah, I want you to know. Yeah, yeah. Almost. Like, what are you going to do about it now, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, 
Amalia brings the information back to the orphanage where Annie argues that they have to retaliate in some way, even if it isn't by killing Masson. And Lucy Best suggests that they torch Masson's warehouse where the munitions are held at night. Um, at the same time, Mundy returns to the police station after his confrontation with Swan, only to have the superintendent call him into his office. Mundy thinks he's in trouble, but instead he finds Malady there with a wire wrapped around the uh, sergeant or the captain's neck. Uh, she's upset because everyone believes she killed Mary when she didn't. She wants Mundy to set the public record straight. When Mundy agrees, she flees out the window, but Mundy follows while calling for other officers. He catches up with Malady and wrestles her into unconsciousness, finally capturing her. Mm -hmm. Sort of pretty brutal scene. Yeah. Uh, is that guy dead? The captain? Yeah. I don't think so. I think that he was, he just passed out from being choked. Well, and she said that very cryptic, like they don't come back or something like that when, when they've, when I've had a go at them or something like that. And then his head just like kind of lolls and she bounces out the window. Yeah. It, it wasn't very clear. I don't think she killed him, but, um, I was talking more about when Mundy catches up with her and he freaking yes. like oh drives, my gosh. drives her, her skull. Into that the made pool. me go <gasps> when, uh, <laughs> you see the blood that he like bashes her head against the wall and you see the blood on the wall. Ah! Just, just knocked her out. No big deal. Yeah. Mm. But, I was afraid that he killed her, but I love Melody. <laughs> She's just such a wild card. She's so cuckoo. I love her. Yeah. Um, it, and it is kind of interesting because like we've talked about the pace of this show yeah. before. We're and like, we've talked about characters with layers. Like talk about layers, Malady. Yeah, Malady has a lot of layers, but you know, the capturing of Malady, because that's been like his job since episode one. Um, that's the type of thing that you'd expect from like, you know, something later on in the season. I guess technically we are later on in the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But every episode is just so packed with stuff. stuff. And, and him finally capturing Malady. And then when the police like are about to kill her and he's he's like, No, we're gonna get justice. Yes. Um, I thought that was oh, very interesting. I loved that. Yeah. And like, like you said, every episode is just jam packed with stuff, but it's all been set up mm -hmm. and it's just so nice to like watch a show that's been properly set up. And now they're following through they're with everything off, yeah. that they've set up. God, I love it. Yeah. Like we, we watch this show and it's the exact same length. I think it's even a little bit longer than the, um, Falcon and winter soldier episodes. And like those episodes seemed like, Oh God, when is this going to be over? But like watching this, it's over. And then I'm like, what the hell it's over already. <laughs> and like, I can't wait until the next episode. Yeah. I'm right there with you on that. Like, I, I feel like the episodes are very well paced. Mm -hmm. I feel like important stuff happens every episode that Drive, drives the story forward and yes. develops the characters at the same time. And that's not something we get in a lot of TV shows nowadays. Oh. Don't you agree, Vader? Eh. Not really. <laughs> you don't think that that's something I mean, we get? I think you guys like this show more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you agree that they have set up the things that they are paying off right now? I, like I said, I, I don't know. I guess I'm not paying as much attention to the show as, as you guys are. Well, you don't. You didn't, I'm, you didn't I'm, pay very much attention to the Falcon Winter Soldier or WandaVision either. Well, I didn't really get in here for the last four, three episodes of that show either. Yeah, but, you got out of that one. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, not good either. Um, it's like I said earlier, um, I'm just, I'm still out on this show. I don't have a huge um, thing, just anything really to say about it yet because it's not over, and I'm sure we're going to mm -hmm. get our 
fun ending or not, depending on what we're doing so in season two. But we're actually watching this as we're talking about it. And we just saw the scene where Nimble Jack uh, has his little shield shields that he throws out. I was just paying attention to like what happens to them as he like climbs up them and they actually poof away as he's like climbing up. Poof. They poof. Just (laughs) kind of like how uh, the vampires get dusted in um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you've ever watched that, Um, when you stake a vampire kind of poofs away. away. Uh, So does Nimble Jack's um, shields. Well, so what was interesting about the malady scene is that malady is kind of like the embodiment of why people shouldn't trust the touched like that she the press and the people the powers that be led by mass and have been using her as a scapegoat for basically everything that you know could possibly go wrong with the touched and so like she was the one that was being blamed for mary's murder and because the guy who killed her crews was part of her her crew that killed people at the opera and stuff like that so the capture of malady is i think a big deal mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. it's going to play a big part in the penultimate episode which is the next episode coming up but regardless that night amalia and lucy go to the warehouse or masson's warehouse but when amalia opens one of the crates um it's got nothing in it but rocks when it's supposed to be bombs uh lucy tries to feign ignorance but she realizes that amalia already knows that she's working for masson so that was the big plot twist this episode where they find out that lucy best one of the stalwart uh, touched who works at the orphanage is has actually been Masson's um, inside woman, like the the one who's been feeding him uh, information. Spy. Spy. And Amalia is devastated that Lucy isn't the ally that she believed her to be. But now that the truth is out, Lucy expresses her contempt for Amalia and her cause. Masson told Lucy that she'd find a cure for her turn, which she views as an affliction, which is how uh, she came to agree to work with him. And we get a reiteration of how horrible, like the, the child's death was because oh god it's so much worse when we t- when they talk about it this time yeah because because we found out last episode that you know her, lucy's powers is to like vibrate stuff uh, to the point where it shatters and so when she picked up her newborn baby uh she broke every bone in its body and it died but in this episode we find out that it didn't die right away it screamed in agonizing pain until its heart gave out and she just had to sit there and she couldn't do anything about it. And she was the cause of it. And so she views the touched not as a miracle, not as a gift, yeah. but as an affliction. And Masson got to her by basically saying, like, I could find a cure for you. So. It was really heartbreaking. Yeah. Bad. This hurt. Yeah. Vader, what did you think of that? I, I don't have that reaction. <laughs> it's like, it's just, um, well, I, I feel investment in, in these characters and I've like, I, I guess I just don't. Yeah. I, I, I guess you don't like me and Jude, like we both, we, we know, um, you know, the Lucy character, uh, we've seen her kind of care for uh-huh. the, the touched over the course of these episodes and, yeah. and her tragedy at losing her son was just so horrible. I, I, just, I find it interesting how you guys are so into this show and I'm just kind of, eh, whatever. <laughs> I'm kind of, yeah. All right. So feelings are stupid. <laughs> no, that's not what I said. So Amalia and Lucy fight and Lucy almost escapes, but she notices that she lost the elephant pen that Penance made for her, a symbol in remembrance of her mother. Uh, she goes back for it. Uh, this gives Amalia enough time to retrieve her gun and get the upper hand. She tells Lucy she's banishing her from London after Lucy tells her everything she knows about Masson's operation. Amalia then uses the intel she gets from Lucy to blow up the actual warehouse containing the real munitions, alerting Masson to the fact that she's discovered Lucy's true allegiances. 
So this was a nice little like turnabout where Masson wasn't expecting uh, Amalia to get the upper hand on him. You have anything to add to that, June? I don't. I'm trying to figure out how I missed that Masson was responsible for Mary's death because in this scene, doesn't Lucy say, "I didn't know what he had planned for Mary." Yeah, which okay. which, which is which is why that. it it you know it's clear that Masson was the one who had her killed. Okay, now that we're talking about it, I think you might have been that. too busy eating cheese. I was eating a lot of cheese. <laughs> You're like ODing on cheese, <laughs> cheese sweats. Yeah, the cheese sweats. <laughs> No no more cheese for you while we're watching the show. I will eat all the cheese I want. You're not the boss of me. You'll you'll have to wait till the show's over. Justice for cheese. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So back at the orphanage, Amalia and Penance are discussing the loss of Lucy. When Primrose, Myrtle, and Harriet come in, they've translated Mary's song and want to share its message. Oh, this was cute. They brought in like every person they could find that speaks a language. Yeah. So part of the song was specifically addressed to Amalia. She says that she isn't alone. But she needs to find something. As Harriet reads the translation, Amalia starts to cry. It was very personal. Yeah. While the song's message is puzzling to everyone else, Amalia seems to understand it. Uh, Harriet and Penance realize that someone was speaking through Mary, and Amalia knows who they are, and then cut to black. Yeah. We don't know. Now I'm like, is is Amalia one of these aliens? <laughs> yeah, th- that was kind of like the impression I got was that so whatever flew that spaceship that that jizzed all over the people of London uh-huh. um, and crashed because like, it sounds like there's something in that ship that is communicating a message directly to Amalia mm-hmm. and Amalia knows her. And she and mentioned she earlier saying like, I was abandoned. Yeah. I was left here. And yeah. I'm like, I was given Bitch, a, are you an I was given a mission that I didn't know, mm-hmm. you know what it was. And, and so like now that we have a message that's meant directly for her, that was being communicated through Mary's, you know, superpower. Uh, the, the question becomes like, okay, who was giving up that message? What's her relationship? What's its relationship with Amalia? Uh, what is Amalia not telling us? I really hope that we get to find out in the next episode. Yes. Yeah. Vader, what did you think of this? I think we'll find out in season three. <laughs> <laughs> well, so interestingly enough, this is the only season that Joss Whedon I is know, I'm bummed involved out about in. That. Well, because uh, he got canceled. Yeah, he got canceled. Mm-hmm. Uh, he basically got kicked off the show. Base. He's toxic. Uh, Jane Espison is staying on though, isn't she? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. And, and she's, I think the real talent behind this. He's he, mean. How dare you? He talks to women with a firm voice. He talks tone to everyone with that. <laughs> with a firm voice? Is firm that tone of voice. <laughs> I think it's a little bit more than that. Uh, but, whatever. Uh, I don't, all right. All right. So believe, believe all women. It's so, all good. So final thoughts. What did you think of this episode as a whole, Vader? Yeah. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Okay. okay. All right. So <laughs> I thought it was adorable because like um I I get up uh usually I get up a little earlier than Kadish um and I take my son to school and then I can I come back and um when I came back Kadish was just like kind of waking up and as soon as he woke up he was like you want to watch the Never Nevers? And I was like, "Well, first thing you said in the morning was can we watch the Nevers?" I was like, "You know it's a good show when the first thing you want to do when you wake up is like <gasps> Nevers. And that's how it was with WandaVision. Like I'd wake up and be like, babe, WandaVision. But like with Falcon and Winter Soldier, I was like, "Mm, we have to watch that today. Well, I I wanted to watch it Sunday night, but she's like, I gotta go to bed. Well, yeah. I don't want to. I hate it when I fall asleep during things. Yeah. This is my, uh, I get home from work and chill out before I go to sleep show. Okay. So what time does it air? It's nine o'clock. 
on oh, yeah. HBO. It's too late for Jude. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I had been flying all day. I had just gotten home um, from a weekend away, mm-hmm. um, and I was exhausted. I think I went to bed at eight that night. So for, for this episode, I didn't feel like it was as impressive as the previous episode because in episode three, we got the Odium fight on the water, yes. which was amazing. Like probably the most creative fight scene I've seen in a long yeah, time. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, then we also got Mary's assassination, which was like a real oh shit moment yeah. because I didn't think they were going to kill her yeah. off, at least not this early. Um, so I feel like episode three as like the mid-season episode was freaking phenomenal. And, and so this one... This one was a little bit of a denouement to it where like it was kind of cleaning up stuff from that episode. And, then and setting also up setting stuff. up some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Going into the penultimate episode next week. Um, so the, uh, the this was kind of almost like a filler episode. But as far as filler episodes go, this was really well done because it, it established a lot of stuff. Um, it kind of made clear like who the bad guys are, like, you know, uh, more characterization. Uh so yeah, good solid episode. Not the best of the season, but pretty good. I, I totally thought. agree with you. Yeah. So, any uh, predictions for next week? <sighs> I kind of hope she's an alien. <laughs> <laughs> or, or like maybe her husband was an alien and they faked his death so he could go fly the ship. Or it might not even be aliens. It might just be steampunky inventor type stuff. You know, I could do without all of the steampunk stuff. I know everybody is like, ooh, that's so cool. But for me, I'm just like, meh, give me more magic. Give me more aliens. Give me more jizz. I do hope that, you know, we get more um, kind of insight into what that ship was and who created it. We we maybe don't need to get all the answers because it's only the first season, but I would like a little bit more clarification on that. Mm -hmm. And what's going on with that tunnel that they're like, digging the ship out of that's the ship right yeah yeah they, they found where the crash was yeah and they're, they're digging it out and I, that's also part of the message is that you know the darkness has found it and uh, amalia needs to go and save it mm-hmm. that type of thing oh uh, that's right there's zombie people down there digging it out lobotomized yeah. touched yeah yeah so vader uh, do you have any predictions for the next episode no okay <laughs> All right, and that is our uh, <laughs> that is our review and recap of episode four of the Nevers called Undertaking. What did you guys think of this episode? Let us know in the comments, and be sure to tune in next week as we take on episode five, the penultimate, second to last episode of the season. Hopefully, there will be many more seasons to come because we are loving the show. I want to know how many times you said penultimate during this episode. Oh, at mm. least five. Yeah. If you've been counting, it's like your favorite word. <laughs> You'll get a treat if you can tell me how many times I said. <laughs> You'll get a penultimate. treat. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll send you a sticker. All right, Vader. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> All right. So, thank you for watching, and as always, stay salty. I forgot to ask where we, people can find us. They know where they can find us. <laughs> Matt Vader, where can they find you <laughs> on the uh, socials? Matt Vader is 74. Jude. Thanks. At I am Jude Juju on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And you can find me at Matthew Kadish, K-A-D-I-S-H on Twitter and KadishBooks.com if you want to go to my Amazon page. So now, stay salty. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye.